welcome to part two of Managing Your Inner Demons. If you missed last week, go ahead and listen to that first as Brad and I jump into a conversation about what it means to listen to our inner demons, to manage them, and to defeat them. This is the Rusty George Podcast. All right, guys. So we're back for part two of Managing Inner Demons. Um, I hope you guys uh, gleaned a whole lot from part one. Uh, so just picking up on where we left off, uh, Rusty, when it comes to a lot of leaders out there and just kind of to recap uh, what we talked about, a lot of leaders are struggling with inner demons um, when it comes to business, when it comes to church leadership, leadership across the board. So the goal today is to address these things through our conversation, through Rusty and I's conversation. Uh, so, yeah. So are you ready for question number one, Rusty? Let's bring it, my friend. All right. So the first question uh, I have for you uh, as it pertains to this is, um, I know you recently wrote a book, and uh, in that book, you talk about a whole lot as it pertains to justice, mercy, humility, um, a simple path to following Jesus. Um, A lot of leaders, as you know, as we talked about in the last uh, podcast, uh, they can uh, over uh, complicate things, get so caught up in knowing so much that they forget to do. Um, and this is a simple path to following Jesus. And that's what I like about it. It's simple, but it's it's uh, extremely relevant. What information in this book do you feel could help leaders manage their inner demons? Well, I appreciate uh, that question, Brad, because that's kind of where this book came from. Um, I think in the, the the previous book we mentioned, Better Together, I talked a lot about a journey I went through between me and people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, could I trust them and how to open up? And as an introvert, how do I connect? In this book, it's really a lot more about me and God. Um, I think a, a problem that all people have, not just leaders, but especially leaders, is the inner demons we face are the voice of the enemy telling us that we're not enough. God is unhappy with us. He's disappointed in us for lack of uh, things that we you know, haven't done or have yet to do. And while he's a little bit morally obligated to love us, he really doesn't like us. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, and we spend a lot of time in the first chapter talking about this, but we come up with some of the craziest ideas of how to get God's approval and God's attention. Um, I tell some stories in there about some things from from church history of of people that locked themselves into upper rooms or they went into caves for years or one guy built a pillar and lived up on it for 36 years um, just to, you know, sequester himself to be with God. Mm-hmm. And yet at the end of the day, you know, we, we kind of mock at those things or laugh at those things, but we do the same thing. You know, we have... Um, you know, the Bible streak on our version app, which is a great thing. But then there's that fear of, oh, I don't want to break the streak. And there's something inside of us, especially those of us that are kind of, you know, uh, pleasers, uh, especially the type three on the Enneagram, which I believe I'm <laughs> speaking to one right now. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you don't want to let God down, you know. Yeah. And so you come up with your own list of things to do. Uh, I remember when I was in college, a buddy of mine and myself we uh, we had always heard about this professor at our school that was so close to God, he would get up at three o'clock in the morning and he'd shower and shave and put on a suit and go outside and, 
and read the Bible and talk to God for an hour. And so we thought, well, that's what it takes. That's what we'll do. So we set the alarm and, you know, getting up was not the problem because we'd just gone to bed. Uh, getting up was easy and getting cleaned up and putting the suit on and going outside, not a problem, but we were pretty much asleep in 10 minutes in the chair outside and slept the rest of the day. And not sure if we got any closer to God, but I think we've all got these things in our mind that we have to do to get God's attention. And yet the words are so simple from the prophet Micah, which you might say, well, how does Micah teach us how to follow Jesus? Well, what's interesting is, is these are the words Jesus would have lived and he would have heard every day or every you know Saturday, go into temple, go into synagogue. And that are the words of the prophet. Uh, what does the Lord require of you? And that is to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And when you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he did. In every encounter he had, he was either going to act justly, he was going to extend mercy and always do so humbly. And if we could kind of settle into that, not worry about trying to fix everybody, change the whole world, do something better than somebody else on social media, but just deal with the people in front of us right. and act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, uh, we would we would definitely have a lot more headway in our life. No, that's, that's good, Rusty. And so my question, uh, I, I've kind of always been wanting to ask uh, a pastor this question, um, and so I'm excited that it's you and it's now. Um, when it, each time you have a sermon series, right, or a book, it's almost like you preach the sermon series and then you move on, or you write the book and then you move on. Uh, when it comes to managing your inner demons uh, for leaders, how much value is it just to sit there sometimes on that topic instead of moving on, sitting there and really like, what do you feel the impact would be with this book? Because when it comes to following Christ, that's the goal. We want to walk. He's our model. And the word of God, this book, this resource, it helps us do that. So do you feel like um, we should develop more uh, curriculum and challenge leaders to kind of sit on some knowledge and work their way through it? Do you think that would be beneficial when it comes to managing inner demons? Well, I think so. I, I think that there's just so many different uh, methods out there to do the same thing. We're all trying to do the same thing. We keep coming up with different methods. It's, it's pretty much mm -hmm. like the old adage, what's the best exercise to do? And the answer is the exercise you'll do. Right. So, you know, same thing with dieting. I mean, just the amount of money we spend on diets because we do one and then we stop and do another. Maybe we're vegan for a week, you know, and then we're not. <laughs> um, you know, I know you've had your, your hand at that, but you yeah, know, yeah. we, we different, we try these different things and you know, as well as I do, it's just the one you'll stick with. Right. So I think for pastors, um, especially, and I'm, I'm a serial starter of things, uh, when it comes to ministry stuff and I'm easily allured by shiny objects and that I'll go to a conference and hear four or five new you know, ministry programs, people are running and seeing great success and think, oh, we got to do that. And our staff just cringes when I go away to a conference for fear of what I'll bring back. I think the issue is, is what will you do and do for a long time? And a lot of times, you know, you don't see momentum from something for six months, maybe to a year. Um, I remember about a year ago, I had a conversation with a pastor and he gave me this great idea about just the ministry calendar. And he looked at me and he said, now keep in mind, you're not going to see fruit from this for 18 months. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know if I got that much time, but 
but he's right. And I think the same thing is true with managing your inner demons. Um, we all want to go to a counselor and have it fixed. We all want to take a medication and have it fixed. Uh, we all want to read a book and have it fixed. But it's really a combination of all those things over a sustained amount of time. And one day you wake up and realize, boy, I'm a lot healthier uh, than I used to be. And maybe that's the best way to manage success is not hour to hour or day to day, but more month to month and year to year. Am I right. in a better place now than I was a month ago? Uh, and maybe not even a better place. Sometimes it's just I react differently to that than I used to. Journaling is such a helpful thing because if you write down all your pain points during a day, um, you're beginning to figure out, uh, I reacted to this differently uh, than, yeah. than I did this time last year or last month. I'm becoming a different person. No, that's good. It reminds me of something that a uh, former pastor of mine said. He said, um, he said, when you're struggling with things that you used to not struggle with, there's glory in that. Mm. It's like so a lot of people get discouraged, like, man, I'm struggling with this. It, but you're in the past, that's something you never struggled with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in, in the failure, we don't see the progress. Right. That's a good point. When it comes to um, managing inner demons, what do you think that uh, people are struggling with the most out there as leaders in particular? Because, you know, like we talked about um, the struggle going on in uh, church leadership when it comes to suicide and other things that a lot of leaders are struggling with and keeping kind of to themselves in business. It's the same thing. Um, leaders are, you know, falling off left and right emotionally, um, going through the struggles of managing a home, uh, managing a business, uh, and then managing ultimately themselves. W what do you think some of the biggest obstacles are, um, inner demons are for leaders? You know, several years ago, we did a thing um, during our Easter services where we had uh, people write down, you know, their biggest issues they were facing right now and drop them off at various points uh, in the room. And a guy on our staff put it all together and, and, uh, and gave it to me. And, and the list were things like perfectionism, uh, impatience, bitterness, um, apathy, guilt, shame, self-worth, worry, fear, and of course, mental health, depression, and anxiety. So you hear about all those things and you think, yeah, I mean, I, that's pretty much what we've always dealt with. But if you look at the culture in which we're in, the things that we are constantly consuming are only feeding all those things. You know, if you wake up in the morning and you spend 30 minutes on, on social media, you've just received 30 minutes of people showing you how they're better than you. And obviously I'm, I'm overgeneralizing, but if you look at everybody's picture of their perfect morning and you're still in bed, you, you begin the day feeling pretty worthless. And then if you go to bed and see everybody's perfect day and uh, <laughs> you know how bad your day was, you go to bed feeling pretty worthless. And I think there's a reason why this whole idea of mindfulness is becoming so prevalent in our conversations, this idea of meditation and allowing our brains to stop for a minute. In fact, even scientists would have come out and said that when you spend time in meditation, it actually rewires your brain. It literally changes the way the synapses fire. Um, okay. There's something about creating these new mental pathways where 
it allows us to hear the voice of God. And that voice tells us that we are loved, we are, are worthy, we're worthwhile, we're chosen, um, we have a purpose, as opposed to you're less than, you're not enough, you need to do more, try harder, maybe better luck tomorrow, nobody loves you, those kind of things. And I think for leaders, it's the same thing. We wrestle with all those things, and sometimes at a higher level. We have put our necks out there to try to say, follow me as I follow Christ, the way that Paul did. And we look at Paul's life, and some people think he might have been bipolar. Some people think he might have struggled with anxiety or depression. But there's one instance where he says, I don't know why I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I know I should. And his constant refrain of, uh, I'm the chief of all sinners. And what do you think it would be like to live with the guilt that he must have had for the Christians that he had imprisoned and tortured and killed? And now he's a Christian. And nobody believed in the grace of God more than the Apostle Paul. And he talked about it continuously. But yet, he had to deal with that inner demon that kept, uh, that kept coming in. Uh, I heard a, a quote recently. And the guy said, if you don't deal with your inner demons, they go downstairs and start lifting weights. That's good. <laughs> Isn't that great? And such yeah, a visual yeah. because he's right. It's, it's just that, I mean, they're going to be there. And based upon what you've experienced growing up, what you've faced in your life, your personality and temperament, you're going to have your own inner demons, but you've got to face them. And if you know one of your inner demons is perfectionism, Let's name it and let's deal with it. If you know it's resentment and bitterness, let's name it and figure out who it's about. If you know it's anxiety and depression, okay, what can we do to manage that? Maybe medication is needed. Maybe you do need uh, particular times of rest or times away and to manage your schedule better. If worry and self-doubt is part of your routine, how can we work on those things? So all of those have remedies. It's just about acknowledging what it is. That's good. That's good, Rusty. And so how effective when it comes to the church world, do you feel, I know we've mentioned this in the last podcast, but how effective do you feel um, programs like Celebrate Recovery would be for leaders um, if every leader was required to participate and stay in something like that? Wow, that's a that's a great question. And I know there are pastors that do that and some that feel like they can't because they just can't open share that with some people uh, that they don't they don't really know. But I think there's tremendous value in that. I I know of a pastor uh, who's not an alcoholic, but he goes to AA because of the community and of the ability to to share that he desperately needs. Um, and I think the same thing is true with CR. I think it's true with uh, maybe a, a another type of support group or a grief group, or some pastors have gone through a divorce, being part of divorce recovery. Um, There's all kinds of different groups out there that are dealing with said issues that allow you to be vulnerable and transparent. And here again, it comes back to, are you willing uh, to share that with somebody? Are you willing to talk about that and get that out there in the open, which those groups, they encourage that. And it's really, really good. Yeah. Like we said before, it's about, do you want to be healed? Right. I think the fact that a matter too that we haven't talked about yet is that some people don't want to be healed from these inner demons. Right. Right. And and they underestimate the power of them and it leads to destruction. Yeah, and I think that that comes from the the enemy of course that tells you you got this, you can handle this. 
You know, what I love about that story that you've referenced um, about, you know, do you want to be healed? That guy didn't even say yes. (laughs) 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 All he did was blame everybody else. He said, well, no one will get me in the water when the waters are stirred because they believe there was some angel in the water that would heal them. And and, uh, having been to Israel and seen where that took place, um, you know, it's pretty cool to think about. Um, There were so many people around. And Jesus comes to that one guy and heals him in spite of himself. (laughs) And for those of us sitting around thinking, boy, I just got to do more. And then, then Jesus will finally see that I'm worthy. Well, the people that I saw him heal, none of them were worthy. And most of them didn't even believe that Jesus could do it to begin with. And then you look at the way that God interacts with Jesus. I'm reading this book right now. And this woman's talking about how interesting it is that Jesus um, is referred to as this is my son in whom I'm well pleased long before any miracle, any healing, any sermon on the mount, anything done that would prove he's worthy. God just sees us that way. So I think it it really is a lot to do with just showing up, just being there and allowing God to speak that into your life. Uh, I want to I want to get your thoughts on this and this idea. This is actually something that I heard from you, and it impacted me more than you can imagine. Um, but you had talked about um, during one sermon series about how one of the things that helped you out is when you realized how much God loved you. Hmm. And I feel like a lot of leaders that are struggling with these inner demons and they dealing with guilt and shame, they're so quick to isolate themselves and run away from as opposed to running to God and running to the people that God's put in their life to love them through this, because the word says that a friend is born for adversity, not for the happy times, but for the tough times. And if leaders isolate themselves, well, they're losing out on what scripture says they should actually be doing. And one of the, the verses you share with us from the, from the stage was uh, John seventeen twenty three. And it says, uh, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Mm. And that blew me away because you you said it blew you away. And you saying that from the stage was the first time I actually took that scripture in. Yeah, And I feel like a lot of leaders, whether they're Christian or whether they're business leaders, we forget that we are loved. You know, we forget that, you know, if nobody else cares about us, you know, God does. That, that scripture has meant more to me over the last six years than I think um, any other one has. And that was one of those that was kind of um, spoken um, over me by that, that first counselor that I saw because I don't think I ever believed that. And I'd read that passage several times, but never really thought about it, that we are loved by God as much as he loved Jesus. Yeah. And just letting that kind of wash over you. And that became a verse that I read um, every day for about a year, just to be able to let that penetrate my life. And I think we are so good as leaders to tell others that God loves them and he's got a plan for their life. We just don't believe it's true for us. And the problem is, is when we don't believe that God loves us, it makes it really, really difficult to love him back. 
Yeah. So once we just take some time with that, and you mentioned earlier about just sitting on one concept for a while, letting that seep into who you are and that you're really loved by God, even if you do nothing else than what you've already done. And even if you've done nothing so far, uh, that he's already impressed with you and has great plans for you. So just yeah. let that be what you sit on for a while. And I think it will begin to change the way you see God and the way you believe he sees you. No, that's, that's, uh, you're, you're spot on. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad I get a chance to tell you how much that impacted me and, uh, anybody listening. Uh, I hope it's, it impacts you equally. I hope you sit on and meditate on that. Um, so no, this has been great, Rusty. Um, do you have, um, any other things that you want to communicate to any leaders out there, um, young or old? business or church world that are struggling with managing their energy? Well, I would just echo something that, um, you know, Pastor Jared Wilson's wife wrote after um, he died by suicide. And it's such a tragic thing that we all grieve over and mourn through. But, you know, she said, and she quoted him because he had said this a lot, and that is hope gets the last word. And Despite his life ending, what we would consider to be prematurely, hope will have the last word. But for everybody else out there listening who might be feeling like they're overwhelmed, there's no way out, and they're thinking maybe that's an option, hope gets the last word, and it can happen while you're still living. And your life can be different, and there is hope and there is healing. And I would encourage you to reach out. Um, email me, rgeorge at reallifechurch.org with any questions on what we talked about today or maybe any concerns about your own inner demons, um, contact the uh, Suicide Prevention Hotline. And I would recommend a great resource, which is kwarren.com. And uh, Kay has become a friend and is just a phenomenal voice in this area because of what she dealt with when uh, she and Rick uh, lost their son to suicide um, about six years ago. So. Um, I think there's tremendous help out there and tremendous hope. And I'm grateful, Brad, that we got a chance to have this conversation. So hopefully it helps others uh, along the way. Likewise, Rusty. Likewise. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I hope it helps a lot of people because it helped me. Well, thanks so much for listening. It's an honor to have you with us. Please share this with a friend and pass it on and let them uh, maybe get a little bit of help from it as well. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a brand new podcast. That's my interview uh, with a leader that I know you are going to be blessed by. He is a worship leader extraordinaire by the name of Todd Fields. And I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation with him. <laughs>